Your Steve Jones Show podcast will start shortly. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Brewers Outlet, your beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. Imports, domestics, microbrews, the best selection of beer anywhere. Wine coolers, water, soft drinks, snacks, lots and lots of snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and out every day. Six great flavors of slushies. The pickle bar led by the barrels and the dills. Indeed, second to none. All at Brewers Outlet. Reagan Street and Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. It just screams New Year's Eve. It just screams New Year's weekend. Lots and lots of football, lots and lots of parties, and Brewers Outlet. Make the trip right now. Follow me. Follow me to Brewers Outlet. Reagan Street in Sunbury. We're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Keywords 11 and 15, almost wharf online at sunburymotors.com. All right, Jack Cam in just a few moments. First, our play-by-play call of the day. And our play-by-play calls of the day feature three great freshmen and some of their great moments from this season from Penn State. Thorne takes it back to pass. Blitz coming. Pressure hit it. Down he goes. Back at the 50-yard line. Abdul Carter led the charge. Allen left side through the hole, lowers the shoulder, pushes the pile, and drives it. A pile drive into the end zone for a touchdown for Katron Allen. Right side, breaking a tackle, Singleton to the 20, 15, to the 10, to the 5, battles to the goal line. Touchdown, Penn State. A spectacular run by Nicholas Singleton. Great moments, no question. By all three of them, they'll pay all pivotal roles in the Rose Bowl on Monday. You got to watch Carter. Right? Carter's got got a fastball like Sandy Koufax. <laughs> You've got Singleton. He's got a fastball like Sandy Koufax. Right, since we're going out to Los Angeles, and there's Katron Allen. He's discovered he's got a fastball like Sandy Koufax. With that, we bring in my outstanding broadcast partner, the best in the business, my good friend Jack Cam. Welcome. Great to have you back, Jack. Thanks, Steve. And I also had some, uh, I learned some trivia on baseball. <laughs> nobody knows if it's ever right, Jack. I just make it up as I go. You, and nobody knows that better, better than you do. So. And I was, I was a big Sandy Koufax fan as oh. a young kid growing up. And uh, you were so accurate about the fact how wild he was. And then all of a sudden he got control and nobody could, uh, nobody could hit him. Yep, four no hitters in a perfect game. Something else. I mean, his last season he won twenty seven. Uh, Jack, so I want to get to this football team, and I want to get to to the defensive part first. Early in the season, Manny Diaz would go with seven defensive backs, and you and I, you know, knew why he looked out. That's the best personnel he had. And then Abdul Carter emerged. What did Carter's presence and his style of play mean to how Penn State played defense? Well, I, I think you're exactly right about the fact. I think Manny Diaz, when I talked to him on the uh, practice field before the season started, is uh, somehow, some way, I've got to get Abdul Carter on the field. He is such a great athlete. He can make so many plays. He's so gifted out there, and he needs he needs the playing time. It, you know, 
Steve, it gave us a little bit more of a physical presence in, in that defense because, I mean, the, the young man can run a 4-3-40, but also he can hit, he can tackle going downhill when those defensive linemen give him a good angle and good gap to make a play on the running back. So it made a physical presence for our defense. You know, at times we've gone to seven defensive backs because of the fact of the passing game, but uh, uh, you need that physical presence, especially in the Big Ten when you're playing against teams that like to run the football. you got to make sure that you got guys back there who are – who can make plays against a running game. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking back. He only played the one play on defense against Purdue, and he got called for the penalty. I was thinking back. That really was preview of coming attractions because of how he closed on that play. I think it should have been a tip-off to everybody. This guy this guy has the speed to play. Yeah, and early in the year, quarterbacks were running, you know, Auburn, they were able to run the quarterbacks running the football against us at times when, and coming out of the pocket. But when Abdul Carter ended up being sometimes a spy on the quarterback as well, you're right. The closing speed for a linebacker, how you go from zero in ten, and how fast you are in 10 yards or 15 yards is so important for a linebacker. And, and at times when the quarterback was coming out of the pocket, I mean, he looked like he was going to be open to go and run the football for positive yards downfield. And Carter just closes with that speed he has and, all, and just runs down the quarterback and and takes away an angle where a quarterback thought he may make some positive yards. Uh, in so many different ways, he, when, as Carter got more experience, it made that defense, as you saw, get better and better as year went on. What did the versatility of Jair Brown mean to Manny Diaz as a safety? Well, there's so many things that, that Jair Brown can do, and, and number one, confuse a quarterback. Uh, at times, he's lined up at the line of scrimmage. And, and then he'll bail out and be a safety. At times, on, on seven defensive backs, he plays like an uh, outside linebacker and just, on his own and just breaks on a football and got one of his inter- one of his three interceptions that way. You have to be account for him. And when he is playing at the safety position, he reads so well that he's up there making a play on the, against the running game when he's unaccounted for with the blocking scheme. Um, you know, a lot of people don't feel that safety will be in the in that hole to make the play. You hold that to a a very short game. He is he is just the last two years, Stephen. You, you, we watched him up close and personal, and how much he has improved every year, every game. And when you need a big play in a football game late in the fourth quarter, I mean, he normally is the guy who makes it. Joey Porter Jr. showed everybody in the opening game what kind of player he is, and uh, he's being projected, obviously, as a first-round pick, and he's received All-America accolades. He will not be playing in the Rose Bowl. But, Jack, what about the guy on the other side? Because when you have a guy on one side that's so productive, they don't want to go over there. So they kept going over to Kale and King's side. What were quarterbacks and offensive coordinators facing when they went to that side? Well, number one, I mean, Kale and King, if you talk to him, he just enjoyed the challenge. He knew that was going to happen, no question about it, when people were going to end up throwing the football. He played with better technique on either bump and run coverage, getting his hands on the wide receiver, you know, forcing him to the outside, turning with him, running downfield, but also he, he, he avoided a lot of the pass interference calls by being able to be in good position, to look back for the football as well. And so many times, as a color analyst watching him going, like, that is like a technique for a clinic on how to play corner bump and run coverage. And he did it time and time again when he knew that he was going to get a lot of activity out there being on the opposite side of Porter, but he was just outstanding all year. And 
especially when Porter ended up not playing the last couple of games a little bit in the in the Michigan State game. Uh, King, Kalen King was just he was so consistent all year long in making big plays against all the wide receivers. We, uh, it's interesting. We talk a lot about the secondary, and of course, Carter and Jacobs at linebacker. Penn State ended up getting so many tackles for losses the final month of the season, and for the year they had 16 different guys end up with a sack this year. So there wasn't one dominant guy that had 10, 11, 12 sacks in the season. What did you think of the development of the defensive front as time went? Well, I, I think, the, especially on the defensive end side, and, and uh, I'll mention two guys, it's not the end, but uh, uh, P.J. coming back from that injury in the second half of the year really came on. And, yeah. again, another played so well at the end of the, se- end of the season. But you had Adisa uh, Isaac on the outside who, who had another injury, the Achilles injury. But his quickness coming off the edge, you know, Chop Robinson on the other side, Tar Burton being solid all year long. You know, our team speed on defense, Steve, I think has just gotten better and better. And you saw those guys, especially Isaac in the last half of the year, just running down quarterbacks, forcing them out of the pocket, and and the quarterbacks not being able to run downfield. You know, like I said, early in the year, especially like Auburn, in the early in the year, we had some quarterbacks making positive plays against us, you know, getting outside the pocket. But the last half of the year where all these guys were pretty healthy up front, and with the addition of Carter, obviously, those quarterbacks were not making those those gash yards running the football out of the pocket. One other element that I'll flip to the offense, and this is a defense that we're for the most part, Jack. Guys are playing, I don't know, max of forty to fifty-five plays a game because of the depth. So let's get back to that speed point that you made in November. Was that speed showcased in part because the players were fresher in November than they may have been in the past? Uh, without a doubt, Manny Diaz is a, a defensive coordinator who's going to play a lot of quality players if you're good enough to play. And he's not going to play you in the fourth quarter. He's going to play you in that middle of the first quarter, second quarter. He'll play you in situations where the game is on the line. That's where you actually, you know, not only for the for the endurance of players in the fourth quarter, but also, you know, you gaining experience when you have to make a play when the game is, you know, tied or you may be behind by a touchdown or so where you've got to be consistent, disciplined. And I think, Steve, I think our defense learned a lot in that loss against Michigan. I think the fact that you do not take chances, you do your job and expect your, your, other, your teammate to do his job in his gap, do what you're supposed to do. I think we learned a lot because of those gash running plays that Michigan had against us, especially in that second half of the game. There's one more game to go, obviously. Jack, in the preseason, you and I thought the offensive line had a chance to be good, but at the same time, we wanted to see it in practical application. There were a lot of moving parts as the season went because of the injuries. In the end, how well did that offensive line play? Oh, the offensive line, I think, was uh, the, the, the key. You know, everybody will point to, to marquee players like the running backs, and no, no question, they were outstanding all year. But the offensive line not only in the running game, but for protection for Clifford as well. We end up getting more of those second and four and five situations this year. Also, we're so much better on short yardage on third and short or fourth and short when we went for it as well. And also on the goal line. I think uh, Mike Yersich has got to get a lot of credit for the formations and everything he had in that red zone area that confused a lot of people as well. 
But our offensive line, I think, if you had to look at you, I think we expected the defense to play well. I think we expected the running backs because of their talent to be outstanding this year. You know, the question mark was the, uh, the offensive line. And I, I also lump in the tight ends here on this blocking as well. Yeah. But the offensive line blocking for the running game was the key this year why I think Penn State ended up 10-2. and two. And that was going to be my next uh, point, and that was on the tight ends because Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren. Jack, uh, what kind of, quote, weapons are they in this offense, A, when they have the ball, but also what kind of weapons are they in the offense when they don't have the ball? Well, number one, I mean, a, a lot of the key blocks on Singleton and Allen's runs, yeah. a lot of has been a lead block, like a guard coming up in the, into the hole to lead that uh, for your for your running back, and that was strange a lot of times. And and he especially downfield when he locked on to somebody, either linebacker, sometimes even a safety as well. He didn't lose his feet. He continued to hit and drive through and and seal off the outside, and 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 the running back, whether it's Singleton or Allen, could break off. Normally, would break off of that block to make their runs and their quality runs downfield. But the, you know and Combine the fact of when we, we can, they're so versatile because we will spread them out and put those tight ends on the outside. We did that against Michigan State. And they, they got confused on what we were trying to do a couple of times. And they're able to run the passing game as well. So we don't have to substitute people out there. We can sometimes keep those two or eight, sometimes three tight ends in the game and run our passing game as well. Keandre Lambert-Smith, the last couple of games, broke out, made some plays. What can it mean moving forward if he can do that and be a receiver that can take the top off? Well, I think, number one, that is great for his confidence going forward and going into the into the Rose Bowl game as well because we were looking for that one guy who could, in fact, you know, run that deep post, run that takeoff along the sideline and really stretch a secondary, and then you have those intermediate routes underneath. We really didn't have that guy, or we were looking for that guy. All of a sudden, when those wideouts make a couple of catches, make a couple of tough catches, and he made some this year, a couple of high balls from Clifford in the last game. He ended up going up, getting at the high point, bringing the football in with his hands, catching the ball, and not dropping anything during the course of a football game. Also, in those wide receiver screens. So, all of those. But the fact that he has that, you know, as you say, top end speed that can make sure the secondary has got to honor that, it opens up so many more things, and I think for our pass game to get better this year. All right, so now we do get to the freshman running backs. Um, in the spring, you and I looked at them, and you know, the, you know, both of us kept saying, like, Allen and Singleton together, because we kept looking at it over and over again, seeing those two. Now we've actually seen it play out, and they were separated, Jack, by only seven carries, so everything happened organically. What did we see performance-wise? And also, what did we see from, from two guys having almost split carries? Well, I, I think number one, for, for the two guys, and I think so many people were talking when the recruiting process was going on, well, if you have Singleton, why is Allen coming to Penn State as well? What's going to happen? One of those guys are going to be on the bench. But I think this is good for both of these football players. I mean, no question, outstanding talent as we, as we saw it you know, as they came into Penn State. But the idea of splitting time, getting over 1,800 yards in our, in our rushing game from these two guys, I mean, it, it, it had the balance of what Penn State needed for our offense to really take, take control and getting that kind of, kind of attitude from our running game. But uh, those two guys, it, it just, 
they, they feed off of each other. There's a competition, but it's a friendly competition. You see the one always, if you've got one guy makes a great run, if the other guy's all down on the sideline, he's the first one to congratulate him as well. These are two freshmen, two mature young men who are a big part of our, our offense and uh, I think looking to, for the future of a Penn State in, in the running game. And it, it is nothing but the arrow pointing up. See, and that's what's interesting to me, Jack, is it's not like somebody was sitting there and counting carries. There, you know, one guy's in one time, another one in. Okay, one's having a better day, so he plays a little bit more. And they ended up being only seven carries apart. I thought that was remarkable. Yeah, it, 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 Steve, you're exactly right. And when you talk to the coaches, I mean, they're, a, they're different. Singleton is more that the explosive, the 50, 60-yard run all of a sudden as he breaks into secondary. You know, a, you know, Allen is a guy who – I mean, he finds a soft spot on on a defense, and when you think he's got a, like two or three yards, it ends up being five and six yards. Very strong. You saw him on the goal line in their formation, that full house backfield where Allen carries football, and a couple of times on on goal line on third or fourth down, he broke an arm tackle to get the ball into the end zone. So they've got a different style, but uh, you're right. It just kind of you know, nobody's counting uh, carries on the sideline throughout the course of the year, but it, it just kind of evolved like that. And like I said, both guys is, is is such a great thing to see. Friendly competition, which can only make both of those guys better next year. So two part on the quarterback. Sean Clifford ended up sixty four percent and twenty two touchdowns, seven interceptions, three to one. And of course, we got a a lot of long looks at Drew Aller. How'd you feel about the quarterback play and also what the future can be a quarterback? Well, I think what we got out of Clifford, I think what we expected. I mean, a guy who doesn't care about getting 350 yards passing. If you if run the ball for 200, he gets 150 yards or 175 yards passing. He doesn't care. Off the play action, and, and that's where he made a lot of his big plays in the passing game. Uh, got the offensive line in, in, the, in the protection that he needed to slide it when they had to make the right decisions back there. And I think Drew Allard learns from that. It's, you know, it's almost watching him out there, and you're like an intern, and watching the quarterback out there make all those kind of calls that Drew Aller is going to have to be making next year. So I think exactly what we, I think we expected, maybe a couple of more turnovers from, from uh, uh, Clifford, especially in the Ohio State game. But for the most part, I think it, – Every department of our football team this year was better, including a quarterback. And finally, about Utah. Uh, every time I watch a tape of them, I feel like I'm watching, in some ways, a traditional Big Ten team playing in the Pac-12. What's your thought in looking at Utah? I am, I am really impressed with Utah. I yeah. mean, this is going to be a tough football game out there. I mean, they run the football effectively for about 220 yards, and they throw the ball for 250. That's the kind of balance you want in your offense so and they're outstanding on defense it and the, the thing that jumped out at me when they were down 10 nothing i think 17 to 3 against southern cal they never panicked on defense you know they rushed three dropped eight in coverage came with a blitz you know continue to do that throughout the course of the game and how they took control of that football game as the game went on you know a lot of times you're down early in the game like that you start guessing you you lose discipline. This is a very tough, mature football team, and uh, Penn State's going to have to play their best game to beat this beat yeah, this team. I agree with that. You know, you will have to play your best game to w- to win this game because Utah's that good. Jack, always a pleasure. 
Appreciate everything as always, my friend. You are welcome, Steve. Take care. We will see you soon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Whatever you think of me, he makes me way better. Jack Hamm, my outstanding broadcast partner, and I say the same thing about Dick Girardi, too. Next week, I get to work with Jack on Monday, and I get to work with Dick Girardi on Wednesday. Pretty good life. Tony Knopp, final half hour, brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street, and somebody the beverage supermarket on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Party time, game time, or just fun time. Doesn't matter what time it is, because it's Brewers Outlet time. The Beverage Supermarket has the area's largest beer selection. Imports, microbrews, ciders, and domestics. Pick from over 100 ice-cold 12-packs and dozens of 24-ounce singles. Soda, snacks, hot sauces, fresh roasted peanuts. Make it one-stop party shopping and don't forget the pickle bar. So whatever you're celebrating or just doing it up, Brewers Outlet Reagan Street Sunbury wants to see you. And thank you for your years of patronage when it comes to car buying there's the other guy's way and then there's the smc way the other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want the Sunbury motors way lets you take the time you need to browse ask questions and take the test drive and think on it for over 100 years the mirth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have the other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade no matter how much they say they will the smc way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle with a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Final half hour, and it's brought to you by our good friends at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. Look, it's New Year's weekend, eh? College football playoff games tomorrow, NFL on Sunday, Rose Bowl on Monday, New Year's Eve parties. You may be going, you may be hosting, or maybe you're just going to be home and just enjoying life. Make sure you go to Brewers Outlet today. Imports, domestics, microbrews, the best selection of beer anywhere. Wine coolers, water, soft drinks, lots and lots of snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and out every day. Six great flavors of slushies and the pickle bar, led by the barrels and the dills, my two favorites. Indeed, second to none. All at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street, Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Ummels Wharf, online at sunburymotors.com. All right. Let's turn our attention now. I'll be in Los Angeles tonight. And I'll be out where Tony Knopp is right now. Tony, always great to have you with us. Welcome back. I am good. We're getting the cold weather out of the way here before you guys come out here in a few weeks. Good. Because <laughs> the last time yeah. I did a game out there, it was it was in the low 50s. <laughs> oh, so. 34 today, which oh. for us is unheard of. Okay, well, just so you know, it was 18 here. Nope. No, I'm aware. <laughs> okay, yeah, I just want to make sure you know. All right. 
Well, if uh, UCLA, with all due respect, had USC's president, they would have told him to pound sand and move on. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean that, no, that's the way she is. I mean, yep. no getting yep. around it. I mean, Edward Hale wrote a, a short story back in the 1800s, The Man Without a Country. I feel like that's the story of UCLA right now, uh, because right now they, they are without a country. But they, Tony, they've been giving away tens of thousands of tickets Nobody goes. Right. I mean, ten- nobody goes and they're never going to get to go. Right. I mean, UCLA is a perfect example yeah. of the state of California essentially trying to, I mean, it's a gross generalization, but it's true. Um, the state of California and the taxpayers in California want nothing to do with sports. Right. Right. It's been that way for quite a long time. And so people outside of California may not understand that whenever we put ballot measures up to build stadiums, they fail. Right. Uh, the San Francisco Giants almost moved right. to Tampa Bay in right. 1993 because they couldn't get a stadium pass. And then finally, they got Measure A through, but they essentially publicly had to privately right. finance the stadium. Well, look so at the Chargers. Privately financed. Look at the yeah, Chargers. So they couldn't get anything right. done. And, and the Chargers, you know, San Diego is a lot more red than most of the state of California, yeah. and they couldn't get it through there. Nope. Uh, and, and for those listening, because San Diego is um, it's a military hub. There are yeah. a number of military bases there, so it's a very staunch yes. military city. And so when you look at it, like Stanford, for example, took the um, – took the attendance number at Stanford Stadium from 85,000 to 30, and they still can't right. sell it out. And right. they've, they've basically said when David Shaw left, you know, we're not going to support these sports anymore. We don't care. We're going we're to support some of the Olympic sports, but this is an academic institution. We don't care about football. And Cal has said the same thing, which is why it's disingenuous for Cal to say, well, we want, we'd like to receive a tax if UCLA leaves. It's like, well, but you're not trying, and you're openly not trying to compete in the new era of college sports. So, yeah. It's just interesting to watch because, you know, where you see places in the South, in Big Ten country, where they have municipal support to build stadiums, to support the university, to build up these large economies that are around it, you've had these, these, these um, local legislatures here who are just completely the opposite. They will never let UCLA build a stadium on campus. Right. Never. Uh, and, and all they would need is a 35,000-person stadium. And right. for those people listening in Pennsylvania who aren't aware... If you would, and this would be, I mean, it's going to blow their minds if they haven't been out here, and they will be for the Rose Bowl soon. If you go to UCLA and you're a student, a freshman student, likely without a car, and you want to go to a UCLA football game on a Saturday afternoon, 27 miles, you, you are likely sitting in an hour and 10 minutes of traffic yep. to get there. And look, the, and look, the sure. property, the property around there. You can't even go off campus. Not a lot of room to build a stadium there to begin with. The property off campus is so expensive. There's no way you can get it. But what no people way. don't seem to realize is UCLA has been balancing their athletic department budget by borrowing from the school. Yeah, isn't it a plus that they can be autonomous and get a, get a big TV contract and and not borrow from the school and from the state ta- from the state taxpayers anymore? It would seem like that would be, like we talked about a second ago, that this is disingenuous, right? Right. That seems like the easiest way to do it, yes. but then they leave the Pac-12, and then the Pac-12's yeah. in trouble, and then, you know, it's just, everybody's looking out for themselves yeah. in this one. And what's, what, what's essentially happened is you have this brand, and we talked about this with Tennessee a couple years ago, got a great year this year and kind of bounced back. Yep. You have this brand with UCLA who hasn't been relevant in football nationally since probably the Edger and James years. Right, mm-hmm. of the early 2000s when they had Cade McNown and those guys. Um, the basketball program, which was once a blue blood, you know, they do well now, but if you saw the economic support they get 
when you compare them to North Carolina, Kentucky, and the like, right. it's paltry. Right. Right. And so it's just been horribly mismanaged for a very long time. And now we're standing on the fringe of you know, a possible decision where UCLA could become even more, uh, even less relevant. Now, I, you and I both know they're going to end up in the Big Ten. They have to. Sure. Financially, they have to. Right. It's $103 billion deficit right. year over year. They have to go. Right. Right. So we'll see what they end up doing, yeah. whether it's going to yeah. be how much money they're going to have to pay in ransom yeah. to the state of California in order to do this. And, and quite honestly, for, for those who are and not to be political, not a political guy, but for those who are listening to this and saying, how can the state of California possibly tax somebody for leaving? Uh, we're already voting on that in the legislature. Yeah. Uh, it's bet up regularly that if you move out of the state of California, they can collect taxes from you for the next two years. Yeah. All right, so the college football playoffs going to go to twelve. I know we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. and 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 that the last two years of the contract with twelve will be ESPN exclusivity because they have the contract. But then it opens up, Tony. When it opens up, we expect multiple media partners. Is it possible to you that twelve becomes sixteen because you need the inventory with multiple media partners? I think it's possible that 12 becomes 16. I think it's possible that eventually the college football playoff becomes the NCAA. And it goes well, it goes well beyond 16. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at what happened with the, the rights for, I mean, there's a couple of different ways we can look at this um, predicated upon what's happened with rights on, on, on different places. And a lot of times we look at North American media rights, but North American media rights are generally a little bit different than the rest. So, for example, you know, NFL controls their media rights across the board, where where Major League Baseball has them in, you know, different regions. Currently, baseball is doing everything they can to try to consolidate those rights, um, which could mean bankruptcy for Sinclair. Uh, For those who don't know who Sinclair is, Sinclair owns Bally Sports. Bally Sports used to be Fox Sports. They are the ones who negotiate all those regional sports network deals. So they go to the Milwaukee um, brewers and say, we want to carry your games, and they, they do a deal. And those things have been individual, and the teams have had the rights to do those. Sinclair is in trouble. There's rumors that they are possibly going to get, go into bankruptcy, and what could start that will be the Minnesota Twins deal that's coming up in a couple of months. If that happens, Manfred is going to try to consolidate his TV rights, which is what the NFL has done. If he can do that, then you can start to look at things like what we see with the English Premier League, where they have four partners right. currently. So much so that people are looking to buy Manchester United, and they can't because of their media rights that they have, right? Amazon has media rights for the EPL, so they can't turn around and buy Manchester United, who's asking for $8 billion for the team right now. So the college football playoff is looking at this and saying, this is the Premier League. We are about to form the Premier League. And it's not a lot different than what happened when the English Premier League got together and essentially broke away from the FA, which was the federation in uh, England up until 1994. Mm -hmm. So I think, yes, I think what you're saying is going to 16. I think people need to prepare for the fact that the college football playoff is going to be the overarching league in the next 10 years. Yeah, because, I mean, people, when you look at FCS, they have 24 teams in that playoff. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, and that's been expanded over the years to get the t- to 24. Uh, how important- And I think, I think it's interesting, and you know the players very well. So yeah. You understand this, and, and I played college sports now. I played a college sport that doesn't pay a lot of money. <laughs> I played basketball for one day, and then I focused on a different one. But there's this, this fundamental philosophical argument that if you move to a college football playoff with 16 teams or 24 teams, you're no longer a student athlete. And my counter would be, that's not true. Because there is a full industrial complex that is around these sports. And a lot of these athletes who go and play football or soccer or field hockey or baseball or whatever else, 
make a living playing those sports after they leave college. How is that any different than learning to be an archaeologist? Right. No, I mean, so, that's absolutely right. You're right. Exactly. I mean, it's this is your proving ground to get yourself someplace. If you're a basketball player, you're, it could be a proving ground that can get you to Europe to play right. professionally. You can go to Europe and play professionally. You can be a coach or a trainer here. You can start a club program. You get, there's, there is vocation that comes after this. And that goes back to, it segues to what we were talking about with UC Regents. There's this discussion in California that sports are not academics. Therefore, we shouldn't be involved in them. Whereas my counterargument would be people make money playing sports and coaching sports and covering sports and the like and the like and the like. How is that any different than learning how to be an electrical engineer? Right. Which you offer and you pour money into your engineering program, especially as it can make money with you know, different kinds of donations and the like. So that's at the core of the college football playoff argument, right? Is, oh, well, you're creating a minor league, so to speak. What's the problem with that? Yeah. That's what I don't understand. Yeah. And I know some people have said that with the expanded college football playoff, it'll really hurt the, hurt quote, bowls. Tony, you and I both know ESPN owns 17 of these bowl games. They <laughs> yeah. own 17. All right? Yeah. So you take out the college football playoff, you know, the New Year's Six. Okay, we're down to 30, uh, 35. Um, Fox has won the Holiday Bowl. CBS has the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Now we're down to 33. So ESPN owns more than half of the other ones. This is brilliant programming for them. They aren't going anywhere. Yeah. And, and even <laughs> the funny thing is sometimes people will laugh when they turn on the Bahamas Bowl and there's like 28 people in the yeah, game, that's right? right. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you doing this, right? Right. But then you look at the ratings and it's it's outdrawing a very large percentage of what what is competing against. No question. There will right. only it's be two there'll only be two bowl games probably and maybe even just one that has fewer than a million. And it's because yeah. of the time frame it's at nine times out of ten. Right. Fox it's, go ahead, Tony. Oh no I'm saying that advertisers can't eat it up enough. Right. Gambling's becoming a part of it. It's one of the last bastions of I mean that's what we're looking at right now when you're talking about the media business. Like it's changing. It, it, you're not People are out there saying, you don't rent media rights anymore. You buy them, right? If you can own it, that's where you want to get to. And you see what happens with ESPN. You know, ESPN essentially helps create the MLS for 24 years. No doubt. See you later. We're with Apple now. Yeah. Right? And so that's how people are looking at this going forward. CFP is saying, we need to own this. ESPN, as you pointed out, they know exactly what they're doing. We need to own this. Right, because then it grows and builds, and it's one of the last bastions of programming that people are continuing to to, to tune into, and it's not on demand. They're doing it live. Right. And I just did the uh, Charleston Shriners Classic uh, last month down in Charleston, South Carolina. ESPN owns the tournament. Penn State's going to go to Orlando next year. ESPN owns the tournament. Right. Yeah. So they're they're. And the reason they're doing it is they're creating programming for themselves, and that's the job of a network, and that's you know, that's what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. And, and you know, I always feel bad because I want to come on, like everybody else, and talk about how fun it is to follow the sport. But yeah, I know. Time, like, yeah, you and me but both. But you see what's so important about this. Is, yeah. is, this is why Sean Clifford's in his 19th year at quarterback. This is why, <laughs> right? Like, these things are happening because there's a business behind it. And that business behind it is predicated upon profit, yeah. right? And so you see all these things tugging and pulling. And the problem is the CFP has essentially created this incredible league where they own the rights. And they're saying, this is the, where this is going. And for whatever reason, the California municipalities 
are saying, no, we don't want to do this, which is really interesting because I'm, I'm super curious to see what happens with Oregon and Washington. Yeah. They well, cannot stay if those two leave. Oh, well, or, and remember, Oregon and Washington have the same, the same states, problem. I believe, have the same border regions situation as, as California does, right? Yeah. And nobody's taken Oregon State. And the, and the difference is, what's interesting about all of this is some people would come back and say, why doesn't Berkeley go with them, right? Why doesn't the Big Ten just take Berkeley? No. Nobody wants Or First of all, they don't want them. And secondly, Berkeley doesn't want to go. Berkeley doesn't care, right? right. Oregon State wants to play in the Mountain West. Yeah. You know, Washington State probably wants to leave for the Mountain West. Yeah. They don't want to stay in the Pac-10, Pac-12. Yeah. Pac-6, who knows what it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, MLS, by the way, did come up with a secondary contract, and that was with Fox. And the last time we were on, we talked about Apple 10 years. Why didn't you wait till the World Cup? This one does take you to the World Cup in 26. So at least there's some over-the-air linear intelligence (laughs) for the MLS to take advantage of the 26 World Cup in the United States. Exactly. And there's always a question about the non-exclusive rights and how that was going to play into what they were negotiating, right? And now you're kind of seeing the playbook, right? And. You know, it's a tough spot for ESPN because ESPN does support the league as it grows, right? I mean, it's a a strong and healthy league now, but you and I were around in 1994. We were around as as it launched, and they were just begging anybody to go. And, you know, there was no loyalty uh, when when the time came for more money, right? They put a gun in their mouth and said, hey, this is what Apple's bidding. And and listen, the more Apple and Google and Amazon come to play in in, in that world, they have bottomless pockets. Yeah, they do indeed. Uh, one final question. When we look at all these contracts, we see what they've done with the Premier League. Is that in some ways a model that, that if you are a media watcher in this country you and, and somebody who is a corporate watcher in this country, that you should watch closely yeah. how the Premier League goes about its media and corporate business? It, it, it's interesting, the Premier League, as opposed to La Liga, and Syria, I mean, you see teams like FC Barcelona who had to sell the private equity and take large debt chunks to stay afloat, right? This is an iconic club that's losing $400 million a year. What the Premier League has done so well is they're kind of like, they're almost like a republic, like, like we are, a republic of 50 states. Like mm-hmm. there, is control, there are controls that are controlling the teams that are together, but in the end, there's still individualism within the clubs. And they've, they've just threaded that needle. I don't think all of it was intentional, to be honest. But they've created this environment where they have just commercialized the clubs and turned them into these worldwide products. I mean, for those who don't pay that much attention, and most don't, City Football Group has been buying teams around the, around the, the globe yes, for years they now. They just yeah. bought three more in the last four months. They know exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And this just becomes this large, massive, you know, organization that has global reach that can negotiate with the premier league while they're staying there. And the, and the key to that is the premier league, because it's a unity of the clubs that are in it. Can't have a gun held in its mouth. Right. Right. That's, that's the difference. So exactly what you pointed out with the SPM of the bulls, right? It's not going to happen. So everybody should be paying attention to what's happened there versus like what's happened with the Bundesliga, which Right. In the 90s, was as big a league as the Premier League, and no it's nowhere close now. Right? Yeah, it's ama- It's amazing. I mean, the, again, close. the business model of the Premier League and the media model of the Premier League 
is stunning how good it is. So, oh. uh, You could ask a layman who kind of knows soccer, name 10 Premier League teams, and they could do it. Yes. Right, fairly easily. No question. Or they would say, if I could name 10, they'd say, yes, I've heard of those teams. If I named the top 10 Bundesliga teams, most Couldn't, people wouldn't know no. the bottom seven. Couldn't they, know. You know. They'd maybe know Bayern Munich maybe Borussia Dortmund, and that's about it. Well, because the Premier League has done a great job of establishing deep-seated brands that people understand. And they did it together like the CFP is looking to do. Yes. Exactly exactly what they did. What they did in 1994 was say, this FA is not working for us anymore. We're going to put together a Super League. We're going to take the top clubs. We're going to bring them together. Everybody else can stay involved, but it's not going to be an even cut anymore exactly what the Big Ten and the SEC are doing. They're looking at us and saying, listen, I don't need the incompetence of the ACC. I don't need the incompetence of the Big 12. I don't need the incompetence of the Big East standing in the way of what we're doing and what we're doing well. And, And that's what's happened. Every time we finish these, you and I always say the same thing. We don't we don't talk often enough, so <laughs> yeah, not often enough. So, so we will we will change that in the new year. How about that? Absolutely. Enjoy the Rose Bowl. Hopefully, uh, I'm back on the second, so hopefully we'll cross paths. Hopefully, we will got, cross paths. We've got the CFP coming into town. So, yep, exactly, because it's at SoFi this year. So, That's right, Tony. Thank you to you and that beautiful family of yours. Happy holidays. You too. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you too, my friend. We will talk shortly. All right, brother. The great Tony Knopp joining us on the show today from Los Angeles. I'll be joining him out there in just a few hours. All right. Looking forward to a great weekend. Peach Bowl tomorrow, Georgia, Ohio State. Also tomorrow, Fiesta Bowl, Michigan, TCU. Lots of NFL this weekend. And then the Rose Bowl on Monday, 5 o'clock the kickoff, 3.30 the airtime here on WKOK. Today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet. Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. Imports domestics, microbrews, the best selection of beer anywhere. Wine coolers, water, soft drinks, snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and not every day. The pickle bar led by the barrels and the dills, indeed second to none. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com on News Radio 1070 WKOK.